Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder videos, and at tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Monday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream crafting Icewind Dale, in which I build right and prepare for our next session of Orion of the Frost Maiden. You are playing characters of a Robin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed. This stream is not meant for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. Assuming, of course, you're okay with spoilers. Stream our D&D sessions are live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of our D&D sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Rogue Watson and join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson as I'm furiously typing in the name of a patron I forgot to add to my credits list. Sorry, Eric, the same name as me. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net and for streaming, I use Open Broadcaster software with Streamlabs. Should be on there momentarily add it in there fuck it we'll do it live and then if i just do this that should be updated okay hey folks <laughs> we are still talking about etherin which is why we're gonna be staring at this city map for a long time thankfully my players like it i like it too um we have covered most of the tower of abjuration now we do have a fight coming up I guess I can go over uh, perhaps a change I was thinking of giving my dear Tomb Tapper. Tomb Tapper or Tomb Trapper? I think whichever one I think it is, it's probably the other one. Probably Tomb Tap. Yeah, Tomb Tapper. He taps the tombs. Taps that tomb. Hello, James, Nate, Sylvan Fox, Morgan. Hope everyone is doing well. Jeremy. 3.34 a.m. My goodness. And at work and watching YouTube. You are getting far too much done right now. <laughs> uh, I really loved being able to end last session with a... I mean, it's, it's probably one of the cooler cliffhangers that you can do, I think, in a session is just have this giant, cool, scary monster show up and, like, right before you roll for initiative and then you you break for the... For the session, and then next session is to come in and just do your, you know, I'll do my opening recap, and then it's just roll for initiative. We can just do a big fight, so that'll be pretty cool. Uh, it'll probably take up a good amount of time, and the players are still stuck in an anti-magic field. Um, I would think their best strategy will be to just retreat, uh, probably up into the forge room, which is going to get tricky, because then I think I have to figure out what does the distance, like how long does it actually take to climb these steps? Because that's probably going to come up, and I don't know if that actually is uh, ever mentioned anywhere in here. Doing it live, James! Thank you for the super chat. I appreciate you. Always doing it live. What I'm here for. Is there ever a mention of how actual, like, Distance between these two floors? I don't think there is. This is the kind of shit that, like, when people say, like, okay, well, how high is this room? It's like, man, I don't know. I haven't thought about this. I got so many things going on. You just have to, like, make something up. <laughs> um, so I have no idea how tall uh, one floor is to the other. We got to imagine it's at least... It's at least 10 feet, though, right? Like, the average floor to ceiling, I'm thinking. That got to be at least a 10-foot staircase. You could even maybe argue it's more. It's a funky spiral stairs. I mean, hell, there's pillars in this room. That makes me think it's got to be taller than 10 feet, now that I think about it. There's a crashed pillar here. 
In fact, we could reverse engineer it. This pillar is 10 feet right here, and that crashed. I think it's at least that tall. I don't know. Maybe it won't. Maybe it won't matter. A lot of it's going to come down to the opening initiative. Um, the one thing I wanted to change... So, you know, Etherin is designed for level 9 parties. My party is level 13, so part of my job has been upscaling things to an extent. However, I actually haven't had to change a whole lot, and bless my players, they're not exactly, um... Well, I'd say they're not exactly min-maxers, but honestly, they do, a, they do a really good job. Like, you've got, like, your, your CC crowd controls, you've got some DPS, you've got just an utterly amazing and proficient tank so i think they do probably just fine uh i guess i should say they're just not like cheesy min maxers they don't do the real cheesy strats that i've seen on various subreddits so bless them for that so this could be still a tricky fight but it's only one creature and as we know with one creature the action economy is gonna burn you more times than not so the way i think you can solve that is via um, either legendary actions or bonus action or something that allows them to do more than just their regular multi-attack. Legendary actions would allow, them, would allow it to um, obviously operate when it's not necessarily its turn, so that would help fill the gap and make it feel more like this cool big boss monster. Um, they're not supposed to be necessarily big boss fights, but in fact, I think it's almost, it can be a random encounter in Aether now that I think about it, and yet they're CR 10, like they're just casually, like for a level 9 party... I think that would be a boss battle, if I'm understanding how challenge rating works. In the encounter. Yeah, so like one of the encounters you can have is just a tomb tapper, which is no fucking joke for level nine parties. For level thirteen, it's maybe more of appropriate of a random encounter. My one change I thought of was I'm gonna keep its multi-attack exactly as is, but I'm gonna change its sledgehammer that it carries around to a bonus action. So Right now, this isn't necessarily giving it legendary actions, and I'm willing to hear arguments if I should. Um, but if I give the Sledgehammer the bonus action, then it can still use its cool multi-attack to do its bite. And then I believe if it hits with both of its, or sorry, with its claws, if it hits with both attacks with its claws, it can then do a third attack and do its bite attack. So it can do that, and either, this is actually inspired from uh, playing Thor in the Marvel Dice Throne game, uh, you can either throw or retrieve the sledgehammer, depending on which one he, he has or doesn't have. So the bonus action, you can throw the sledgehammer, which is just a ranged weapon attack, plus 10, 30 range, deals uh, the exact same damage, sledgehammer ranged damage, which is 66, plus force damage, which is pretty nasty against uh, our barbarian, for example. Uh, and it's a bonus action is the only thing. So it can do that in addition to its regular action. Because I'm picturing, okay, it hurls the hammer at somebody, and then it goes crazy with its you know, ferocious claws, and then if it can hit both of those, then it can also do its bite. That's a lot of damage it's outputting. If it hits technically with all, it could potentially hit with four attacks in a round with an average of 20, 20 to 25 damage per hit. That sounds pretty nuts. However, if it doesn't hit with the two bite attacks, then it doesn't get to do its fourth hit which would be the claw and then my idea is on the next round in theory uh it would then instead of throwing a sledgehammer because it only has the one sledgehammer i would literally have to remember like where it is it can retrieve it and instead of it being a targeted attack it becomes a deck saving throw for everybody in between it and the hammer so literally like thor style where it's throwing the hammer and it just you know reaches out the hand <laughs> and like recalls it uh to his own hand and then i i I actually have the damage since he's not like swinging it with his full force. It's just kind of willing it towards him. And then I chose a DC 16 deck save for 3d6 plus 6 force damage on a failed save. Also, it didn't include half damage on a success because to me, it's you're like dodging out of the way of the hammer and you're not taking any damage. But it can uh, target multiple people. So clearly the goal would be to try to hit somebody as far as farthest away as it can with the hammer. Hope everybody, you know, gets in close to him and then he can try to recall it backwards. That's my idea. Um, the thing is I could change that to be a legendary action versus a bonus action, so maybe it could do the timing a little bit more interestingly, and, uh, in that way it's, it would be able to do it, things a little bit more often, but maybe that would make it too deadly because then I would be able to throw retrieve a little more often as a 
as a legendary action. Supposedly it would be able to do... Um, I, I think that would basically be its only legendary action I could think of. Uh, and it seems lame just to do like another claw attack or something. Um, other than that, I think it has magic... Or no, it does have magic resistance. It has sense magic. This is an action to pinpoint the location of a creature object area in range that bears magic. What's funny is they're, they, yeah, they, they all put the sense magic thing, and yet it necessarily wouldn't want to fight in this anti-magic field either, lore-wise, but the players don't necessarily know that. Oh, it should knock them prone. That's a good one. I'm going to add that on there right now. I like that, Morgan. Taking 3d6 plus 6 force damage. And falling prone on a failed save. I like that a lot. We're adding that in instantly. Bong. And I'm literally picturing the Mjolnir-like sound effect. Like, that kind of metallic. Uh, that's a good sound. <laughs> so that's that's my question I was going to ask all of you. Do you think it's it's too much or too weird to have it be able to do the hammer thing as a bonus action and then just stride up and do its kind of melee flurry, which, again, could just be two claw attacks? Um, because I figure that's just a good breakup of its action economy, because it felt really weird as written. It's like, oh, well, its sledgehammer does more damage, but it doesn't ever get to do its cool bite attack. It actually doesn't do any more damage than the claws, anyway, um, other than the fact that it's a third attack. And then I was inspired to treat it like Thor's hammer, because it says, uh, the hammer returns to the Tomb Tapper at the end of its turn, landing at the Tomb Tapper's feet of his a free hand to catch the weapon. So it automatically returns... And I'm couching this as not magical um, because it still needs to operate in the anti-magic field. It's a little bit of DM bullshit there, but uh, it's technically just... Maybe I'll couch it as, like, the hammer is made out of its, like, like a, a organic body. So it's like an extension of itself or something that way. The, the players could try and grab it and hang on to it. Oh, maybe that would be interesting. Somebody tried to pick it up. Um, hmm. I wonder how I'd rule that. I don't necessarily want to treat it like Thor's hammer; they can't even lift it. But maybe there'd be a contested strength check or something that could be interesting. Something I just haven't thought of, and I realize that my players would probably try to do if somebody hurled a hammer uh, at them, and they looked and said, "Like, well, I'm gonna pick this up." It's a giant-sized sledgehammer, though. It would not be very wieldy. Literally built for a giant creature thing. This thing is supposed to be very tall. So that's the fight. Um, I might go back and forth on whether to do a bonus action or a legendary action, but general rule for level 9 characters equals 1 CR 9 encounter. Yeah. And that's for that's for a party. and that, That's how I've always understood CR to mean, to an extent, on average, is like the creature with that CR value, should be like an average battle for that party. But the problem is, once you get to like 5th level and above, and the action economy starts really favoring the players, any single creature isn't really going to last around long. And then of course you've got creatures that are spellcasters, creatures that are glass cannons, creatures that are huge tanks. Like it's just, it, it's really hard. And I get the problem, it's really hard to distill that into a single number, but... I think 5e is especially wonky with some of its creature balance. Close that tab. If he's huge, they couldn't wield it. I'm not even worried about them uh, wielding it. Yeah, and he is huge. Literally huge! Um, I'd be worried about them just trying to grab onto it. And then what happens if he recalls it? Like, maybe... Maybe I would let them try to roll a strength check to hang on to it. But it would have to be a pretty beastly one. Tomb Tapper is huge. How did it fit inside? A creature can squeeze through an opening one size smaller than itself. Um, how did it fit inside what? Well, the this thing can tunnel. I think that was the idea. It's got a burrow speed. Um, it's not a fast tunneler, but it can just claw its way through. Where does it say? The Tomb Tapper can burrow through solid rock at half its burrowing speed, and leaves a 10-foot-wide, 20-foot-tall tunnel in its wake. So it even, it actually burrows 
at half its burrowing speed, so it goes at five feet. But yeah, so it, well, I was trying to tease the fact that that humming sound that I was teasing in the last session was that thing like coming through the rocks, basically. It was just, I guess, taking it a while to get there. But yeah, I can technically just break through solid walls. And like thematically, I just love the idea of giant creatures just like, you know, barge in their way, busting in Kool-Aid Man style, just you know, wrecking havoc with a cool-ass intro. Who doesn't like that? I think that'll be a pretty effective boss fight. Um, yeah, Lord Marbury is still down there too, technically. I guess can I have a vision. Give him vision for. I wonder if all Robin will get that vision. Um, I also have to remember technically that. Oh, there's my automated thing. There you go. Using Ethernet expanded tires of magic. Um, that they they took the hammer. Uh, from the anvil, and it does mention, I forget where, that if they take it, oh, I'm on the wrong one, Tower of, uh, if they take the hammer, it teleports back, so you actually can't take the hammer away, which is kind of funny, because I had a good idea, it's like, well, let's just take it so nobody else can use the thing, uh, say that, where it says that somewhere, but I'm not sure if I could actually find it again here. They're going to be in rough shape, though, if this thing can close in on them and they're all still stuck in this anti-magic room. It's going to be beastly. Although Frey proved that she almost doesn't care. She just switched to her claws, and she had, what, maybe a minus one to everything because the strength went down a little bit. But she didn't seem to care too much. All her modifiers are just so damn good that mainly the two spellcasters are next to useless. And unfortunately, the monk loses a lot of her uh, subclass stuff, although she's still got all of her monk, base monk powers, I suppose. I swear this information's in here somewhere where the hammer gets teleported back, but I forget where I put that, where it's put. Remember, I'm trying to find it. Oh, well, but it was a funny little footnote that's like, hey, if they try to remove the hammer, it teleports back. I, I wrote that down. <laughs> Uh, they also now know they need to go to the Arboretum, so that's a th place I need to prep and have a map for and all that. However, if we look at the big map, um, they may check out the stadium next, because that's basically right across from the uh, Tower of Abjuration. And I mentioned before that I was... Uh, had made some interesting new rules for the Chain Lightning Stadium, and I was going to maybe uh, keep them close to my chest, but now that we're probably going to go here and I might have some time to prep, it might be worth going over my plans for it, which is not going to be actually in Roll20. Down in under Y3. So I mentioned before that it's uh, very disappointing uh, the Chain Lightning Stadium, I just thought there were so many cool things you could do with Ancient City Sports Stadium. Uh, and they really didn't try to do much. It's basically a game of dodgeball with, like, the option to throw it through these electrified masts to get, like, a slight bonus. And that felt pretty lame. So, I decided, alright, well, it's gonna be... Is the tapper... Oh, are we going to see Rachel? Um, no, we're not, Sylvan. Um, and unfortunately, I think I mentioned this on my Monday update, but uh, unfortunately, it sounds like we may not see her for the rest of the campaign, uh, which is a big bummer, but she's still going through uh, treatment. And uh, it's been uh, rough. And, you know, weekly D&D &D is certainly the least of the things that they need to be worrying about. But just in terms of her ability to speak and things are uh, not in good shape right now. Uh, is the capital resistant to non-magical weapon damage? Ooh, that's a good point. And no, it's not. <laughs> That's a really good point, though. I I forgot about that being a qualifier. 
um, oddly immune to cold and fire damage and resistant to lightning damage. Kind of random, but I guess it works for being in a uh, place full of wizards. Being immune to cold and fire and resistant to lightning would be pretty good wizard deterrent. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks a lot. Uh, in fact, this uh, coming week, I don't think we'll have either of them because she is literally going to be in the hospital again for another round. So it's uh, which is every three weeks. So my plans for the stadium. Go through my. Oh, I was also going to have a uh, have the an announcer come in and kind of personalize the area, and of course it would be super glitchy, so it would be like. Uh, you know, kind of like frozen and laggy and all these other problems with it because everything's been damaged. And it would basically tease like, hey, when you step into the arena, there's a trophy case here. The players don't know it yet, but they actually need this trophy in order to uh, complete the Tower of Evocation. And uh, they will start this arena battle without even real, you know, really realizing that they're doing that. They'll essentially walk in. The force field appears around them, an electrified force field, and a bunch of opponents uh, automatically gets spawned. I believe it's designed for a 6v6. And thankfully we've got five players and Valin makes six. So my version of chain lightning is that the uh, the party is given magical wands and the wands, which I need to be careful that these aren't going to be too overpowered of magic items, uh, is this one... Yes, thank you. I appreciate that, Nate. The Wand of Discharge. If a creature is hit by lightning damage while holding an uncharged Wand of Discharge, the wielder can use their reaction to absorb the damage. They take no lightning damage, and the wand stores the energy, becoming charged. With a charged wand, a creature can spend its action discharging the energy. Make a ranged spell attack with a, with a range of 60 feet. The wielder normally lacks a ranged spell attack. They must succeed on a DC 15 Arcana check instead. On a successful hit, the target takes 4d8 lightning damage. The attack roll or arcana check fails by 5 or more, the wielder takes 2d8 lightning damage. So this is just a thing I whipped up, and everybody is given this wand like it's your official sporting equipment. Uh, and then when the games start, everybody rolls initiative, and the masks start firing up, and then I'm going to try to come up with a system, which I've written down in my notes, that they basically randomly and chaotically give off bursts like conical, conical, conical bursts of lightning damage. And if you're in that spot, then you can use your reaction to absorb uh, the damage. However, that's where the athleticism comes in. Because I'm picturing, okay, we got to do something with like magic somehow, right? You can't just be like fucking dodgeball. So the rules are... On, so the ones I've got it written down right now, everybody rolls initiative. And then on rules, initiative count 20, 10, and 0, one of the masts will fire a bolt of lightning in a random arcing direction. So an arc I'm picturing as um, the four uh, quadrants. Like, so northwest, northeast, southeast, and southwest. And then, so one of those will fire, and I'm counting the two up here that are facing down, the four in the middle, and the two down here that are facing up for a total of eight. So I'd roll a d8, basically, and that determines. Because otherwise, we don't use, basically, the, the very extreme top or bottom of the arena. Everybody kind of stays in the middle area. So we roll a d8 to determine the mast and then the direction it follows. In other words, if you roll a four, what did I have in my notes? It'd be one... You know what I should do is actually put numbers on the map for me. That would help a ton <laughs> now that I think about it. Uh, let's do that. Let's put some numbers on here. Get to the numbers. Uh, be the best. Do that. Right with black. How's that going to show up? Uh, that looks... Terrible. It's also too small. Everybody's default number thing. Let's go 22. Yes, I don't like the white on black. It doesn't look. 
find something easy. I don't usually draw numbers on the map if you can't tell. Wait. Alright, it needs to be still way bigger. Bigger! 32. One. Okay, that'll work. So this is going to be quadrant. Fine, we can leave it there. One. That is going to be quadrant two. Uh, over here. Why does it shift down when I try to go? Control V. Quadrant three is four, five, six, seven, and eight. Those are kind of in the right spot. one's kind of a little bit off the axis but that's the idea so in other words you can look at these like lines and that's kind of the general area of a 30 foot arc so I would roll the d8 and that determines which one of these arcs it comes out of and then everyone inside that blast radius which I wrote down as a 20 foot cone from that direction so in other words if it was here it'd be everybody within this area here in other words, it, it kind of benefits the, I may put the opposing team slightly down further, but they might be marching up there and you can start anywhere like on your half of the field. So maybe I'll bring this guy down a little bit. But they might try and advance because you want to be able to cover as many areas as you can so that you're ready if it arcs on your turn. Yeah. Um, now if there's multiple, first of all, Everyone with the blast radius, you have to make an athletics check to be the one to reach the blast. Or a dexterity saving throw in order to avoid it, because if you've already got a charged wand, you don't want to get hit by the lightning, because anytime you get hit by the lightning, uh, you're out. I just realized what happens if it arcs out and you're the only one there, would you still have to make an athletics check? I think so. I think the idea is... Because it's not targeting anybody specifically, it's just arcing out randomly. So you still have to make the check to basically run up and try to catch the lightning in your wand by using your reaction. I guess it's still part of... Or do I... Hmm. I don't know, I can't decide if it's, if it's an automatic... If it hits you if you're in there or... Well, but if there's multiple party members, they should be able to compete too for funsies. Yeah, I think we're going to force people to, to make the athletics check. So it's essentially a contested athletics check, although I will allow either strength or dex, um, in order to be the first to actually reach the blast and then absorb it, assuming you've got an uncharged wand. Or if you're in that area, you can make a uh, dexterity saving throw in order to avoid it if you specifically don't want to get hit. Uh, and the only reason you wouldn't want to is because you've already got a charged wand. And then if you're the first to hit the blast, hit the by, be hit by the lightning blast, you can then use your reaction, or sorry, no, it's not reaction. Is it? Is it reaction or action? I need to remember my own rules. No, you spend your action. So on your next turn, you can spend your action uh, to fire, essentially fire that charged wand at an adversary, which, what did I say, has a 60-foot range, range spell attack, or you have to succeed on a DC 15 Arcana check, and then that does the lightning damage. And then whenever it deals lightning damage to anybody, then they are eliminated. So you eliminate players in one of two ways. You either just get hit by the lightning mast in general uh, because you already had a charged wand um, and you missed the save. Or you get hit because you were just targeted by an enemy opponent who uh, hit you with their charged wand. Or you try to cheat in some way because I've got rules for what happens if you cheat. So there are rules here, pretty obvious ones. First of all, uh, and I will have a my narrator person come on and kind of remind everybody because there's no way the players are gonna. It says you can find rules in the library, but we're not gonna be at the library first. Uh, but I'll I'll be teasing the rules. 
but essentially you cannot physically attack anyone. This is supposed to be purely about like spells. It's like a like almost like a Harry Potter spell duel thing. Um, so you cannot physically attack anybody else. You cannot magically attack anyone else uh, that results in damage or them damaging others except with the use of a charged wand. So you can't just, oh, I'm going to just cast lightning bolt or something. Like, that doesn't fly. You've got to use the system in place. You cannot leave the arena or grab the trophy. Uh, all of those are considered, or try to grab the trophy, all those are considered fouls, and you will basically be hit by lightning if that happens. Uh, you cannot cast a spell above second level, but I am allowing some interesting shenanigans because, again, this is supposed to be a wizardy um, spell arena sporting thing. I am going to allow some creative spell casting in here, and I'm giving my magen some fun spells as well. Uh, for anybody who basically has a foul, it'll fire a bunch of magic missiles at them the first time they try to do something, which doesn't eliminate them, but counts as like a... You know, this is your first warn. This is your first and only warning, essentially. And then after that, if you try another foul, uh, then the art, the lightning starts arcing out and basically uh, hitting you. But I also wrote that it's like a special, like red lightning or something that can't be absorbed by the wand, because obviously, you. I just gave everybody. I didn't think about that. I gave everybody wands that can absorb the lightning. But this one is just if it hits you, you are eliminated. You get red carded. <laughs> so that's. That's basically my idea, and then I gave the uh, Majin down here, who, by the way, are pretty beefy, but again, it's not meant to, it's not like a normal combat encounter at all, it's, it's meant to be just um, this sporting match where everybody's just firing this one little uh, damaging blast at each other. Um, I think they normally do have a ranged spell attack, don't they? They actually don't. Crap, I didn't realize they didn't have a ranged spell attack, so I gotta figure out what their attack would be. Mm hmm. Would it just be a plus six? Could I use plus six? Oh, I didn't think about that. Um, they don't actually have spells as a baseline, they just have static discharge, which is a lightning blast, which is a save, and then they have shocking touch. So they would not be able to use either of these. In the context of the sporting match, they would only be able to use their wand roll, but that means I need to come up with a spellcasting uh, stat for them. What would their spellcasting thing be? Do I need to check the Dungeon Master's Guide for that, or can we just assume it's the same as their... I mean, Shocking Touch is a spell, so I'm a, is a plus six probably fair? That's not a great modifier for them to hit the players, but it's not terrible. Although, to be fair, my party actually doesn't have that great of AC. Only Thimbleweed, finally, after I turned him into a Thrycreen and gave him a plus either one or plus two shield, um, finally has like over 20 AC. Everybody else uh, doesn't have close to that, I believe. Them choose between, I'm assuming intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. I think plus six is what their ranged weapon attack would be. So I should give them... I should just make this an action and make it easy on me. Discharge. Ranged attack. What did I say it was? 60 feet. Which, I could shorten that. I mean, 60 does give you almost the length of the arena. I mean, to where you could easily move and close the distance. But, uh, I mean, 60 seems like such a... I mean, it, basically the two <laughs> the two ranges in existence are like 30, 60, and I guess 120 is out there as well. But 30 felt too short for a spell that's blasting things. Although 30 might make movement more interesting and force people to get up there and... Um, you know, have to maneuver around, so maybe having it, maybe shortening the distance to 30 feet would be a little more tactically interesting for the purpose of this sporting match, which is really what these wands are designed to do. They're not really designed to be used. And in fact, that's something I want to include in here is, in fact, they're supposed to return the wands uh, after the battle. And if they don't, then maybe the Galvan uh, mage and then turn on the players or something. I don't know. I think I'm, I think I might change that to 30 feet. I don't think I would have the masts provide 
Cover, and in fact, I think the masts are supposed to be floating. You can't really tell on the map, but I believe they're supposed to be floating in mid-air. Uh, three metal masts rise from the arena like gigantic trident. No, I guess not. The branches of each trident are 25 feet off the ground and extend 50 feet into the air. They're just really fucking tall. I thought they were floating. I might have described them as floating during the stream. I can't remember. Celeste Avoidance work here. She makes a deck save, then yes. Ooh, does she have a way of... Oh, yeah, you're right. The the decks is at uh, evasion. That's true. That would be really good here. Really good. Which, yeah, certain player characters are going to be, you know, better at the sporting thing than others, although this one does. What's interesting, however, is notice how I put that kicker in there that uh, if you don't have a ranged spell attack naturally then you have to make an Arcana check. So even though folks like, you know, Frey and Celeste would be better at the physical, you know, running around and grabbing the lightning, uh, they may not be very adept at actually firing the damn things. So that could be a lot trickier. I'll tell you what's going to be really helpful here is freaking Bardic Inspiration is going to be solidly helpful for this entire excursion. Really funny if the players end up uh, losing and in fact if they do lose this match because the weird thing is this does have player elimination like as soon as you're struck by one of the lightning blasts then you get uh teleported out and uh i would probably rule that you know because the bad thing is if they're eliminated for a while and you're just watching the, the rest of them play out i would probably rule that maybe they could like do some kind of cheer or something that would you know give somebody the equivalent of inspiration or something uh, but it would get a little wonky if some players get eliminated and then it goes on for a little bit longer. Dome of Crack Electricity encloses the entire stadium. Nothing can physically pass through the barrier, which is immune to all damage. It can't be dispelled, but it's smell magic. Air extends into the ethereal plane. And I believe that same barrier is supposed to encompass the trophy as well. That's true, actually. If you do have a magic range, if you do have some kind of ranged... How did I word it? Back up my rules. My wording is if the wielder normally lacks a ranged spell attack. So if we can, we technically, um, if it if it says somewhere on the sheet that there's a ranged spell attack or her subclass gives her that or something, then that she could totally use that. Basically, my way of figuring out like would the person normally be able to wield this weapon? And the problem is somebody mentioned attunement earlier. I can't require attunement on it because it's literally I have to um it's like when you start the match almost like a Tron situation where you start the match and then you're given the equipment right then and there and then it's just good luck you're expected to just immediately play and attunement as it works in D&D I believe you can only attune during a short rest and the idea is not to give these items to the players for that kind of long-term use now clearly they're going to try to abuse and take this thing but on the other hand, it may not actually break anything if they do, because it only specifically works against lightning damage. So, as long as I remember that even if they somehow end up with all of these wands of discharge, like, alright, well, let's not hit them with lightning bolts anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which is cool. You know, if, if certain character builds can excel here, then that's awesome. Totally fine with that. Um, but I need to figure out if the Majin are going to excel at least somewhat. I think I was going to give them... Yeah, let's change that to 30 feet. Uh, I think there to hit is just going to be a plus 6, because that's kind of baked into their sheet right here. One target. And then what did I say the damage was going to be? I think I was actually going to up the damage to a pretty good amount, which was... Uh, 48. Four, which is actually a pretty good amount of lightning damage. Okay, so that's just them. That's an average of 18 damage. But again, the damage is just there to kind of sting the players and give you a, a volt, you know, a shock, because what it really does is eliminate you in the in the context of this game 
Um, I also gave them some spells. So I mentioned, very importantly, that you can use first and second level spells as long as they don't deal damage or have the immediate potential to cause damage. I realize it's kind of wonky, but my thought process was like... Um, you can't cast, like, Crown of Madness, even though it doesn't technically deal damage, but it would deal damage to somebody else, if that makes sense. Um, but what you can do is, basically, you can cast a bunch of um, debuffs or environmental changes or condition, you know, crowd control stuff. You can do all those. And the examples I gave my Majin were the Grease spell, Blindness, Deafness, Hold Person, Levitate, and Mirror Image. So basically, I need I need to give my mage and, and so, something to do when it's their turn and they don't currently have a charged wand, because otherwise you're just kind of what you're doing is you're just getting into position and then you know spreading out and hoping that um, the lightning you know hits you and you can charge it. So I can have them be spreading out and then casting. Uh, those various spells somebody can cast you know, like mirror image on you would be huge because when somebody attacks you they still have to go through uh, the mirror images um, levitate would prevent you from moving around and getting into position obviously hold person would paralyze you and a lot of these spells if not all of them uh, and blindness clearly would help you not be able to uh, cast the spells and grease would help uh, fuck up people for moving around purposes most of these require concentration, so the only tricky part is me having to remember which mage <laughs> cast which spell. But hopefully that'll make it interesting because, again, if you can, if you're not allowed to damage other people, then holy shit, concentration crowd control spells just became that much more powerful. Which yes, Edmund and uh, Valravin can absolutely take advantage of that as well, with the caveat that you cannot cast any spells above second level, and I did that just to prevent. Things from getting too crazy, basically. So, and that's because third level spells is when things start getting real nuts. I'm also, and obviously, this is all just theory crafting because I have no idea how it's going to actually play out in real time. I'm hoping having the lightning bolt fire three times around is enough. It may not be, though. It may feel like there's a bunch of people waiting around for the lightning bolts to come out. So, Maybe I should double it and have two blasts come out every round, or every, what did I say, initiative count 20, 10, and 0. So basically everybody rolls initiative, and then I make uh, custom initiative initiative markers. And then at 20, I could maybe have two of them start um, spewing out. Because there's always a chance, you know, nobody catches lightning. And then I, what I don't want to have the situation is if people are just sucking this up on both sides, and everybody's just kind of waiting around without really being able to do anything. So... Maybe I'll need to actually fire it twice, so that would be a total set of three times in one initiative round. Because, you know, we're looking at like 12 turns here between all these different characters. Uh, maybe I need to up that up, up that up, up that number uh, to six in one round. So I could have two on initiative 20, two on 10, and then two on zero. So maybe that would feel a little... Or I could do like a lightning round uh, and have it initially be three... And then maybe on the second or third round, I actually double it up to more. That's probably a cooler idea. So let people warm up and get used to what's going on, and then I can increase the number. And I could literally call it the lightning round. Oh, fuck, that's good. That's because it's all lightning. Oh, also, the Majin have fucking magic resistance, every single one of them. So as a baseline, any buffs they try to cast on them, they've got resistance to, which would be pretty nice. Now, if the party just wipes here, because the major are kind of built for this game and these characters are not, um, then the force field will come down, the major will go through the animations of like, you know, lifting the trophy and, you know, celebrating and things. The party can totally throw down and just battle them. That's absolutely something they can do <laughs> just to get the trophy. Although maybe they don't care. Maybe they're just like, all right, fuck it, we'll leave this place. That would be awkward because what they don't know is they'll need to come back here and get the trophy. So we'd have to like basically run this. We'd either A, have to run it all again, or B, they come back here and they just see the exact same thing playing out where the dudes are just celebrating with their trophy and they just have to fight them or something. But that is kind of a, a funny bit of it. Round one, one bolt initiative. Round two, two bolts. Round three, three bolts. See, I think I need to up it even more than that. So 
I'm, I'm thinking round one, we do three bolts. And then round two, I'll, I'll either keep it as three or move to six. Or I could alternate and just do like maybe one of them, it does, you know, double or something. And then finally, by round three, it, by round three, it should definitely be doing six total. Two for each initiative. Two for initiative 20, initiative 10, and initiative zero. So that's my idea. I hope it's not too wonky. I hope it's not too confusing. But um, the idea is basically give everybody a wand. And then everybody runs around on their initiative, tries to get into these different um, places and positions. And the lightning shoots out. You're running contested athletics tricks. And ideally... I've got the Majin right there with the players, so I'm, you know, they're being able to compete every single round. So at the very beginning, um, these Majin, and, and the one rule will be you have to kind of start on your side of the field, so they won't be able to go more south in this middle of the line. But very quickly, that'll be what they're trying to do. They're going to try to spread out. Everybody wants to spread out to, you know, ideally one at, you've got um, eight uh sections here but you only have six on a team but you want to try to be a person at each different one so that way no matter where it comes out you've got somebody there that can compete and hopefully the players will figure that out pretty quickly that's what they need to do that's the other disadvantage they have going into is they don't know how to play this game so that has to be kind of intuitive enough intuitive enough that they can kind of learn by the limited instructions they're going to get as well as just watching what their opponents do on the battlefield but I will tease the general rules about like, you know, as a reminder, no, um, you know, physical contact or attacking spells or anything like that. And hopefully that would be, it would be shocking if the players lose. Ah, waka, waka, waka. It would, it would, even though, um, <laughs> even though they don't know what they're doing, I still have utter confidence in them. I mean, they have so many tools that the mage obviously do not have that they, I mean, just... The amount of things they can do to like save themselves from saving throws and bad rolls and things alone just help them so much. So very impressive. So that's my idea for the Chain Lightning Stadium, and I will probably tackle that next. And I assume they're going to come from the north side, which is why I spawned them uh, over here. And then, as I said, I'll have this big introduction thing and basically start them off. Everybody meets, grabs their wands from I don't know the side bench or one of the masts or something, and then. I'll count them down and begin this game. We'll go to initiative and we'll see what happens. I believe I got this stadium map, by the way, from Reddit, I think. I don't, I try to keep track of where I got things, but I know I did not get this from uh, a marketplace or anything like that. So I don't have any um, links for you. But uh, clearly it was searched via Chain Lightning Stadium. Um, I did make a library one. I don't, a uh, library adventure. I don't know if we want to talk about that now. Let's see where we are here. Maybe, well, we've already talked about Conjuration, haven't we? So I guess library would be coming up. So let's see, they're here at Abjuration. Most likely they'll do a stadium. Um, and honestly, if assuming they need to short rest either after this boss fight, which is probably going to happen, or after the stadium thing or somewhere, or even if they don't short rest, which would be shocking, I'll probably want to have another encounter prepped for when they, between here and going towards um, the next tower, which I think would be Y7, which is Tower of Conjuration. It doesn't necessarily have to be a combat encounter. It could just be some weird Far Realm creepiness happening, but... There should probably be something happening. Oh, yeah, and I had my Iron Golem thing planned. That's that's right. That's Actually, that's probably the encounter I'll do. Um, I've got this Iron Golem just patrolling the area. And I scaled it up a little bit, I think. I called it a Shardolin Golem instead of an Iron Golem. Even though I'm still using the same art. Uh, but I gave it a little bit of extra mustard sauce. If the Shardolin Golem successfully saves against a spell, the caster must succeed on a Charisma saving throw using their spell save DC or suffer a form of Shardolin Madness. And then I gave its uh, melee attacks a kicker that they must succeed on a DC 19 con save or be poisoned until the end of their turn. Essentially, it's got some added Shardlin bonuses. That'll be an encounter there. Um, the Tower of Conjuration we've already gone through, I believe, last week, which was a big puzzle thing with the Ice Devil and all that. It was pretty cool. Y8, I'm keeping as, which is from Expanded Towers of Aetherin. Uh Y8 is the House of the Arcane, which is an uh, like a, a school. Keeping that pretty much as written. I don't see a reason to change that. It's just to go up there, drink out of this magic goblet, maybe get a special power, 
And that's pretty much it. You just have to risk it for a chocolate biscuit. Why nine? Oh, and then they'll make their way to the the Arboretum as well. I assume they'd go to the Tower first before the Arboretum, but I guess I don't need shouldn't assume everything. But um, I think we'll look at prepping. Uh, we'll probably save the Arboretum and the next Tower for Thursday's crafting session. But I do need to get my Arboretum shit together because that's they definitely learned that as a major main quest area they need to go to actually complete the just the one that they did from the Tower of Abjuration. So the library is at Y9. Supercharge this upcoming season session. Yes, thank you. All the electric puns are illuminating. The library adventure should be exciting. It is. I think it is. So the library has written, this is the one that had the Arcanoloth that I just couldn't quite get the point of. <laughs> I, I, I guess it's me poo-pooing all the like goofy um, role-playing scenes in a lot of these because I have plenty of NPCs I brought with me. You know, Valish and Nass and Valin and eventually Avers is going to show up. Like we've, I just feel like, and I've got the, you know, Etherin's like automated voices, which is going to be Eriolarthus that Eriolarthus that we've heard. I don't, I don't really need added random like doppelgangers and Arcanalos and stuff. It just, it feels weird to me, and it, I don't like its motivation for being there. It's, it's really, I don't know. I just, I don't like it. So I replaced um, the Arcanaloth and the Nothing Library with a Something Library. This one is uh, from a website called Forgotten Adventures. Um, and ForgottenAdventures.net, in fact. It's Forgotten-Adventures.net. Anyway, uh, this I was going to change this into a dungeon, a very small, basically two-room dungeon. I say small two-room. The one room is humongous. And I thought, okay, you've got these stat blocks that are living spells, which is a cool idea, right? Like a living Big's Bee. It's a, a Big B's hand that's a monster. That's fucking cool. I love it. Um, and they're designed as just kind of random encounters throughout uh, Etherin, and then I believe uh, they show up a little bit. Tarby Vacation has a pair of living Big B's hands and all that. So I thought, well, what if we can discover the origin of the living spells is here in the library, because I was inspired again by this map art. It's got this cool kind of book in the back that looks like it's got magic shit coming out of it. So I kind of wrote some lore about, okay, maybe during, maybe uh, in the library, this was like a uh, the arcane version of an audiobook. Like you would put this book on this lectern and it would read the book. Maybe it was even a children's room or something, you know, and they could just read aloud or whatever. However, during the big crash, it got damaged and now yada, yada, yada. Uh, a book got left on there that maybe shouldn't have been left on there, and uh, due to the damaged magic, it's now spawning living spells out of its pages. Maybe it's a big adventure book or something. Uh, and that's where all these spells come from. It's been doing this for however long. Um, obviously, they can't do it that often because there's not a million spells running around. And, and probably it's only been started up since the Mythalar actually restarted a couple months ago which I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, most of the city was kind of dead um, or or in a dormant stasis, but then the mythal are being recharged and then when Ass plugged the orb in there and all, basically all of that stuff is when this stuff charged and started back up again. So kind of the idea, because it felt weird. Like, wait, 2,000 years we've got like the golem walking around and all this? Like that seems fucking weird. So no, maybe it was only in the last couple of months this stuff's been going on. Um, but still, it, so maybe it does it once every, I don't know, a couple hours or something. I have to write that down. Anyway, uh, so they'll basically just enter this room, find a bunch of dead mage in here, which is where our poor mage would have gone to and promptly died. Um, and then a bunch of spells just wrecking havoc. And it, so it's one big combat encounter here. And I do have dynamic lighting drawn, so it looks, I guess I could show you. Got them on here. I always forget to put Lord Marbury on here. I need to remember to put his ass on here so I can see there's the dynamic lighting. And notice how I've hidden some of the... Creatures behind the initial dynamic lighting. So they'll basically just fight their way uh, towards this back room. And of course, I'll, I can include some uh, scrolls and other things uh, in here. I thought it'd be more interesting to include some Majin, but I think the Majin would have just been killed by all the spells because they're just wrecking havoc. 
And then when they get to the end back here, that's when they'll discover that this thing is constantly spawning spells. And now they've got an actual purpose. And I'll include some like wind-like effects that they have to make a save to even approach it or things like that. And notice how I've even included the Living Blade of Disaster, which is kind of a crazy, almost... It's a weird stat block. I think it only has one attack, which is weird because the spell gives you two attacks. However, um, if it, it does 26, it has a plus six to hit. It does 26 average damage on a hit, force damage, by the way. And it rolls a crit on an 18 or higher. So it has a three times a crit rate. And if it rolls the crit, it actually does three times the damage instead of uh, twice the damage. So instead of a 4d12, it does a 12d12. For, and it's force damage. Um, however, it also has a reaction and makes a melee spell attack as a creature. It starts its turn within five living spell. I forgot about that. So that actually does make it have multi-attack as long as it's next to somebody. So pretty nasty, although only 14 AC, 60 hit points. I only included one of those. Um, I was going to have a Bigby's hand come out of the book so that they understood pretty quickly that's what they need to do. Notice how I've got this other weird-looking creature here. And this is me having a bit of fun where I was like, all right, it only, as written... Rhyme only comes with three spell stat blocks, which are cool ones. There's a living Bigby's hand, which is neat. It, it does the grapple and things. Cool idea for just a giant spectral hand. Uh, the living blade of disaster, which you just saw. And it has the living demiplane, which is a weird stat block. And then it doesn't really have its own attack. Instead, it just flies over people and shoves them into its extra dimensional chamber. And then they have to battle their way out of it essentially like every wall has a 50 50 hit point section so it just kind of puts them in a weird like pit or, or extra dimensional prison and they have to like fight their way out which is i i think it's actually pretty cool but also weird and i don't know whether it actually i don't think it's supposed to be invisible either it i'm gonna have to work my way around how to actually run this thing i've only got one here the new one i decided to make because there's a lot of neat ideas you could choose but i thought all right what can i make that's actually different enough from the other stat blocks we already have because uh, I thought, okay, it'd be cool to make, like, a Grasping Vine one, but, like, oh, well, we've already got, like, Bigby's hand, so, like, mechanically, it's not very interesting to have another thing that can grab you. What if, though, I was inspired by the Bird Box movie on Netflix and made one spell, the Living Phantasmal Killer? Uh, this token, by the way, is, I think, the Greater Shadow token from... It might even be from Monster Manual Expanded, which just got added <laughs> to uh, Roll20 recently. Uh, the Living Phantasmal Kill. This is a stat block that I threw together. Um, its only ability is to terrorize. Living spell targets a creature it can see within 60 feet, transforming into that creature's deepest fears, visible only to that creature. The target must make a DC 15 whiz saving throw or take 4d10 psychic damage and become frightened. As long as the living spell doesn't change targets, the target must repeat the save at the end of each of its turns, taking 4d10 psychic damage each turn. Or each time. On a successful save, the creature takes half damage, is not frightened, and the effect ends. So essentially, once it targets you with the initial terrorize effect, um, you, if you fail the save, you take the damage, and then you auto-take that damage at the end of each of your turns if you keep failing the save, and it no longer even really does the action anymore. You're just having to repeat it. However, it can't change targets. But the idea is it can then take the dodge action or it can, you know, fuck off or whatever it wants to. Like, you're just... Well, I think it, it does have to maintain line of sight. I think I did say that. Visible only to that creature. Um, however, I looked it up because I know a lot of people say, well, can I close my eyes or something? Because that's how Bird Box works. But if you look at the Phantasmal Killer spell, which is what I was trying to look at, it doesn't mention anything about being able to, like, avert your gaze from it or something like that. So I was trying to be inspired by that spell. Uh, but the idea is it's just something that can target somebody and, you know, target their wisdom instead of their AC or dex or strength or something. And then, defensively, it doesn't have a whole lot of hit points, but Permanent Illusion is a trait I gave it, which means it has essentially a permanent blur spell effect. The creature has disadvantage on attack rolls against it. An attacker is immune to this effect if it doesn't rely on normal sight, such as with Blind sight or true sight, so as the blur spell, and it's uh, all of the living spells I believe have magic resistance. That's a creature I came up with based on the living spell stat block. Um, I'll have to look up more about the visibility thing and how much I want to let people say, like, well, I just shut my eyes. Like, well, okay, because that actually is a big deal in the Bird Box movie, is you can just close your eyes and not get uh, fucking terrified by everything that's coming at you. 
I included a couple of those guys though. So that's my idea for the library, which uh, hopefully is a little more interesting and I've turned into kind of a miniature uh, dungeon crawl and then the whole, it's just kind of a purely optional thing, but obviously I'll include loot there and hopefully it'll be more satisfying for the players to take out uh, some of the living spells. And maybe I'll include that as a little random encounter on their on outside of the library. I may include a, you know, living Bigby's hand or, or something in there to like tease the fact that that's what's inside of uh, this area. All right, I think that is going to do it for this session of Crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoyed the content, please do check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, William, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Roll, Christopher, Brian, William, David, Corey, Coa, 1337, Matthew, Big Nut, John, John, Chris, Scott, Gene, and Eric. And Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fansaka, Tortoise, Scott, Refus, Carolyn, and William. Thank you all very much for your support. See you for another crafting session on Thursday. Yeah, swarm is uh, swarm is a good idea. <laughs>